Welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I am your host. Over the first three months of the year, I had candid conversations with three women of God who shared their stories, shared their faith, and they shared their works. The topic is religion. And for the next three months, I will be having candid conversations with men of faith to hear their stories. 2020 may be over, but the start of 2021 sent our nation spinning out of control, proving the point that the world is in need of love. But where do the church fit into all of this? What is the church's current state? And what are the men's roles in instructing the next generation? This is a man's world after all. So let's hear what they have to say. My guest today is Reverend Aaron Rogers, and he is calling in from St. Louis, Illinois. Reverend Rogers is a passionate preacher, teacher, and writer, and I welcome this opportunity to sit and have a conversation with you, sir. So welcome to my show. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, so how is the new year treating you thus far? You know, it's, it's been good. Um, you know, not that much know where I am, so that makes me immediately happy. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, last year was a tough year, so I'm excited, uh, you know, for a new beginning, and I think everybody might feel that way. Yes, yes, I know I feel that way. I'm, I'm grateful that um, not much damage has happened where, you know, me and my family is concerned, but I, I praise God that um, we're all still standing, so that's a very good thing. 2021 is going to be a better year for all of us. I'm proclaiming that. Hey. Yes. Amen. Yes. So my topic for the whole entire year is my favorite subject, which is religion, theology. Mine too. Yeah, I, I kind of got that impression from reading your bio. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to like talking to him. <laughs> so, first, before we get into a candid conversation, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Aaron Rogers. I am a preacher, teacher, and a religious activist here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I've been in ministry for, you know, half of my life now. And um, I, I work at uh, Trinity Episcopal Church and also serve as the director for mission and theology for a nonprofit called Faith for Justice. Okay, we're gonna talk about Faith for Justice because uh, I was on that website and it looked real interesting. So let's <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's talk about Faith for Justice. Yes. What do so you do? Faith, yeah, so Faith for Justice is an organization that developed. Um, out of the, the Ferguson uprising. Mm -hmm. uh, the people who founded it, founded it uh, 
because they realized that in a lot of their religious space, spaces, there wasn't room for a lot of social activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the critiques that came out of Ferguson was that, you know, the church people who, uh, you know, largely were, uh, a good number of them were hands off. And then the church people who showed up, uh, showed up late. So, yeah. um, so Faith for Justice was started so that, you know, doesn't happen again. It was created to create, um, to give, you know, space for people who, you know, are deeply committed in their faith, but also, uh, you know, understand that, you know, faith without works is dead. Oh, right? my God. And you that, you just mm-hmm. preach on because you just you just pretty much said what the theme is. Faith without work. <laughs> faith without works is dead. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's exactly what I am trying to get to when I have these uh, conversations. But um, it is difficult sometimes to talk about um, social justice in the same vein as you're talking about religion. And unfortunately for me, it, it gets me in trouble every time. <laughs> uh, I, I, does it get you in trouble? Because it gets me in trouble every single time I even try to bring the two of them together. Oh, yeah. It, it certainly gets me in trouble. But, you know, that's what I believe the ministry of Jesus was about. You can't talk about, you know, First John the Baptist was a troublemaker. Jesus was a troublemaker. Oh. All these people, you know, all these people were troublemakers. I mean, so they, you know, follow in line with, you know, the late great John Lewis who said that we should be, you know, trying to get into good trouble. Ah, um, yes. Yes. And, you know, you serve a big, wonderful, creating God, you know. Mm-hmm. It's hard to think that, you know, God is okay with the way things are, you know, and so... Uh, in my view, you know, God is always creating. He's creating the world anew every day. He gives us new mercies every day. And yes. so we, we join God in that work, you know, when we uh, shake things up a bit. So, yeah, it gets me into trouble, but I enjoy it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I kind of secretly enjoy it, but <laughs> it's a little different from me than it is for you. And, and, and that's where um, the inequality comes in as a... Um, as a black woman, mm. um, very deeply into theology, it's uh, I, I don't have as as easy as you would. Um, if I just literally fell in line and did the things that um, female ministers are quote unquote supposed to do, as opposed mm. to um, getting into the weightier things like justice and equality. Um, I agree with you because I believe that Jesus was all about justice and equality. And when we talk about freedom and we talk about liberation and we say that Christ saved us, saved us from what? Because we need to understand all the things that we were saved from. Yeah. And we need to understand that the same way um, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, um, waited um, and cried out to God for um, a change and to be released from their bondage. It's the same way we as black people are are crying out as well. And no doubt, yeah. You you understand what I'm saying? So when we when we're when we're talking about um, Christ and freedom and liberation, um, it, it's impossible for us not to fight for that same liberation and that same freedom for for yeah. black people. You understand? That's true. I mean, and our ancestors thought of it the same way, right? When they uh, created, uh, when they uh, created um, 
you know, the type of Christianity, um, you know, out of uh, slavery, um, <laughs> you know, they, they resonated with those stories of freedom. Yes. Um, when they saw the crucified Jesus, uh, you know, they thought of they thought of the winter tree. They thought of, uh, you know, the oppression and the shackles and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, we without that kind of resonation, without that, that sort of, you know, agreement between our two kind of accidental stories, even though they happen, you know, uh, centuries apart, mm -hmm. you know, if we didn't have that, we, we wouldn't get, you know. Harriet Tubman. We wouldn't get Frederick Douglass. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't think so many black people would be Christian either. Because, um, like you said, we identify with the, the suffering Christ. We identify with the um, rebellious Christ. We identify with the risen Christ. Because we, we see ourselves in Christ. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and, I, and I'm going to say this before we go on, because I want to I want to uh, just lay out, you know, encouragement, you know, for you. Uh, it is definitely, you know, true that the way that um, Christianity has solidified itself today, that it has, you know, been in unfortunate agreement with, you know, certain evils, patriarchy, white supremacy, et cetera. But um we do have, you know, we have the witness from our ancestors that, you know, even though, you know, our Christianity hasn't been perfect, um, we've always had the, the witness of dynamic people who have reminded us um, what it means to actually be Christian and specifically for us, what it means to be black and Christian, Christian and specifically for you, what it means to be a black woman. Uh, and yeah. And so, <laughs> and so we, you, we are in a long line of troublemaking women who have, you know, shaped faith uh, for centuries and with faith, shaped my faith, uh, especially. And so get in some good trouble, girl. Go ahead. You know, <laughs> well, do thing. I'm going to try not to get in too much trouble, but it, it, <laughs> it is my intention to, to bring up, uh, about a truth and um uh, it's my calling i think it is so as much as i've tried to to move aside from it it, it just keeps hitting me back in the head but we ain't gonna talk about that right now because this is all, <laughs> this is all about my guests this is all about you so if we start talking about that that's gonna take us someplace else so <laughs> <laughs> but of course if you want to talk about it i will i will let you talk about it Oh, yeah, let me talk about it. I would let you, know, you talk about it so I won't get in trouble on these airwaves. <laughs> you, know, you, know, my, you know, my faith journey started with uh, the witness of my grandmothers. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't be the, the pastor, preacher, or person that I am today without that witness. It was, you know, sitting in my grandmother's kitchen, hearing her, you know, sing worship songs, uh, hearing her pray. Um, and also around her, her, her dinner tables, uh, both of my grandmothers were great at making family dinners. Mm -hmm. And those are, those are the spaces where I met God at first. Um, okay. uh, you know, I would love to say that it was at church, but it wasn't, <laughs> you know, I would love to say it was through, you know, reading, uh, the Bible stories, which I love and my parents read to me, right. but no, it wasn't that it was the witness of, of black women carrying faith in their everyday lives. 
that, you know, transformed uh, me into believing that, you know, there's a space in church and space in religion and space in faith uh, for me. You know, um, I felt the presence of God when I was sitting at my grandmother's table. I felt the presence of God when I was in conversation with her or she hugged me or anything like that. And um, and that, you know, that began that began my journey towards faith. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know there's plenty of people who've had similar experiences. Yes, me too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always for, you know, let the women speak. Let the, you know. <laughs> and, you know, in my experience, you know, I've, you know, I've been in church all my life. And, you know, I'm, thankfully, I've never, ever been in the congregation where there wasn't, uh, you know, bold women who spoke that truth when the time came for them to speak it. It didn't matter who they were talking to. They could be talking, <laughs> you know, they could be talking to another, uh, you know, another member of the congregation. Or they could be mm-hmm. talking to the pastor. They were never intimidated by the people who held power. Okay. Um, and they recognized that the spirit, um, the spirit of God gave them power yes. to authentically be themselves. Yes. And so... I, you know, I come to this space today being a being a person who is, you know, heavily influenced by and heavily supported, heavily supported by the, uh, you know, the witness and black women. Well, you're giving me life today. <laughs> I love it. And um, I have a similar story because my mom, um, oh, my God, everything that I know. Um, well, not everything, because, you know, but I'm saying I got my first <laughs> I got my first experience with um with the Lord, I tell you know this is a strange story, and I and I was fortunate enough to hear this story being recounted by uh, a reverend that I also um, interviewed on these airwaves. But mm-hmm. um, I've always known God; it's as if I was born knowing Him, and yeah. knowing my mother is quite possible because my my mother was a godly woman, and she she had twelve kids. I, I, I'm siblings; I have eleven siblings, you know. And I'm number six. And my mother was a praying woman. She read the Bible all the time. She, you know, constantly taught God. But she also lived that life. So I got, like yourself, I got to be in the company and the presence of a godly woman. I know what a godly woman is. I know what a woman looks like that has been touched by the blessings of God. Okay? Um, So I'm with you there. And you know what? You know what was crazy. Uh, we just went through. You know, we just went through Advent and Christmas. So I'm reminded of this. Reminded of this every every around every Christmas time. So we usually use um, in churches around Christmas time. You know, we're using like the story from Luke. We feel like Luke gives all the information about you know Jesus's birth and that kind of thing mm-hmm. that we can use for all of our lovely, uh, funny Christmas plays, etc. But one of the things that I love about the Gospel of Luke is that he focuses on the witness of the women and that and how that shapes Jesus's life. So you get in Luke, right? These um, the dynamic kind of faith of Mary that ends up informing the faith of Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's a clear connection between like the you know Mary's prayer, her song, the Magnificat that she sings. Mm-hmm. Uh, after being visited by the angel and and the connection to Luke 4 where Jesus begins his ministry like those those things are, are connected right and so you know it's a it's a it's a story for you know all of us but it's you know 
it's the same thing that runs through uh, scripture as well. Women have been shaking people's yeah. lives ever since the beginning of time. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then yeah. Jesus had a great relationship with women, even to the dismay of his uh, disciples. You know what I mean? So yeah, we can learn from that. But let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk about your um, your faith walk. I know you gave us a little bit of information about sitting at the feet of your grandmother and even your mom, but um, what got you from there to where you are right now? How did you get there? Yeah, um, you know, so I, I grew up uh, always kind of being encouraged and um, encouraged in the faith. Um, it was a it was a language in in my household it was a way of being it was a way of life um i was around people who were spiritually connected always mm-hmm. um i think that um and growing up you know that was a resource for me um because i you know i chased at uh spiritual institutions as a kid and you know i was one of those kids that you know um my my parents were kind of regimented in making sure that we routinely went to church Early, we would go to church early, you know, leave church late. My father was heavily involved in the church and so was my mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, honestly, I didn't like it. I was I was timely, even as a kid, wanting to be out on time. Um, but, you know, one of the most pivotal moments for me was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, uh, my family went through a house fire. Uh, our house caught on fire one day and we ended up losing our home for a bit. And um, and while we were, you know, kind of in this wilderness moment, while we were, you know, trying to figure out what was going to happen next, um, we depended greatly upon, uh, you know, the relationship of people in the church mm-hmm. um, who, you know, helped us out, who cared for us, who prayed for us, who nurtured us, um, not only with our, our physical needs, but also with our spiritual needs as well. One of the things that sticks out to me is, that was the old lady in the church um, called her Mother Keys. You know, she was uh, one of the senior members. Um, she didn't have a lot of money, you know. Uh, she didn't have a lot of resources and everything. And but when we had a house fire, you know, she invited us over. She cooked us a meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite experiences as a kid was, you know, she invited us uh, into her backyard to just pick peaches from her peach tree. And... Um, and I thought that was just so, you know, so beautiful. What kind of, you know, faith inspires somebody to that kind of generosity? Yes. Um, you know, there's a story in scripture of a, you know, a widow, the prophet Elijah goes to a widow. She doesn't have much. She's like, hey, yeah. I got, you know, this one small meal for me and my kid and we're going to die. And then we're going to die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, but, you know, it's out of this position of, you know, radical generosity. She ends up using the last that she has. Uh, to care for somebody else, and she becomes blessed by it. Mm-hmm. And so that that witness of you know hospitality and openness that began in my grandmother's table followed me throughout life, followed me in this experience of the peace tree. Um, let me know that you know God kind of created a welcome table for all of us. And um, in life, uh, when I was really listening, when I was really aware and attuned. Um, to what God was trying to tell me, um, I felt like I just kept seeing the table everywhere. You know, everywhere that I 
everywhere that I went, uh, mm-hmm. whether professionally, whether when I went off to college, whether, you know, uh, in different relationships, the feeling of God welcoming me, um, the feeling of God's presence, you know, creating the open door was something that I resonated with mm-hmm. and anchored me. And so that, you know, that led me into, you know, wanting to, you know, investigate that more. How can I, how can I be a conduit for this type of generosity and love and welcome that I've been feeling in my life? And, um, you know, before I knew it, you know, I, I started to become involved in church, started to do different things. I'm just trying to just show the generosity that I have felt God has been giving me. And, um, you know, one day I, I felt, um, I felt, a calling. And I shouldn't say one day because it never happens in one day. No, I think that, you know, people, uh, God sends road signs and he sends people to help prepare the way for you. Um, you know, just like he did Jesus, he mm-hmm. sends people to prepare the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, it was something that I fought, um, because I, you know, wasn't a fan of institutions and I wasn't a fan of, uh, how people, used and abused power. And so I thought, you know, I largely turned off to it. I wanted to do good where I was and that's all I had thought about. But um, one day um, I um, I heard a story, um, a friend told me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he told me it and it resonated with me. Um, he said that the reason why so many church doors are red is because way back when, um, churches were places of sanctuary. And so they painted the red, uh, the doors red so people could easily recognize that those were places of sanctuary. And in my experiences, churches had been a toss-up. You know, they had either been, you know, places of sanctuary or they had been places of, you know, predators. Um, it was a genuine toss-up. But I felt like um, the one thing that I could contribute, you know, to this community of faith to people is by making the making the church a sanctuary again. And so um that you know that began my journey towards uh you know being a person who you know not only was a person of faith but a person who you know began to teach and, and preach and share faith with others. Um help people grow in their faith, help people develop in their um you know in their walk with God and in their discipleship. And so I, that journey started for me maybe about 17, mm-hmm. continued on um, all throughout my college years and became a, you know, a, a professional experience for me when I got older. Um, so that's a little bit, that's, that's about my faith journey. And that's a beautiful story, actually. Yeah. And um, as I'm sitting here listening to you recount your story, it's, it's warming my heart. Um, one of the things I'm going to say about, um, I've done a few of these podcasts already, um, topic religion, and all the, the individuals that I had the pleasure to talk to has literally said something that has touched me in some way. And it's starting to make me wonder if if God has not pushed me into this direction so that, because there were so many things I had begun to start questioning. Like you said, the... Um, the injustice in the world, the the way the churches are. I've been in a few churches. I've never been a fan of churches. Um, as righteous as my mom was, we went from place to place trying to find a place where we fit. 
And so we studied everything from Jehovah's Witness to Holiness Churches to um, this church and that church. And it just seemed like there was never a fit, never a good fit. I've never found a good fit in a church. And I began to sometimes wonder, like, what is happening? Because I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, body, and soul, you know? And I would always question, like, why can't I fit in? Why can't I fit in? Where, where can I go where I can fit in? And, you know, it's always come back to me. You're not supposed to fit in. I don't want you to fit in. You're not here to fit in. You're here to do what I have called you to do, but you ain't here to fit in. But, um, but it's refreshing to hear you, you, you say some of the same things in the sense that you, you didn't really feel like church was for you. And, um, but here we are. It seems like we are the, what, the reluctant? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know the word for it, but in my travels, I've always ended up having conversations with individuals who feel like I feel in some way have the same uh, heartfelt story. So thank you for sharing that, actually. Yeah, you know, the, the voice of God always starts with a disruption. You look at every story where, you know, people became, uh, you know, people of faith, there was always a, a catalyst, there's always a disruption, you know. I was an uncomfortable feeling before, you know, and that's because, and that's because, you know, in a lot of the places where we situate ourselves, unless we're uncomfortable, we're not really listening, you know, we're not really trying to be aware of what's going on. And so when we feel uncomfortable, when we feel an uneasiness, unreadiness, I mean, that's a gift of the spirit. That's the spirit, you know, pushing you, uh, to get you in a different position so you can, you know, see where uh, God is leading you or God mm-hmm. is talking to you. you right. know? Yeah. Hopefully, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm inspired by, you know, I think of, you know, the story of Abraham who, you know, just got an uncomfortable feeling that had to get up and move, you know, let yeah. <laughs> leave his own homeland or, you know. Right. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the disruption can be, you know, like that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a move. It's a move out of comfort into a situation where you don't know. Sometimes, it's a move caused by tension um, and stress, like, uh, like Jacob when he had his little disruption with his brother Esau, and right. or even Moses when you know. Yeah, or even, or yeah. even Moses. Yeah, exactly. And um, sometimes, you know, this guy, you know. God has to like you know knock you off your horse like Paul because because uh, <laughs> you just so well accustomed to what is going on. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. you know it happens in different ways, and but it's still all of it is still you know the spirit gotten us to where right we probably need to be. I love how you recount the stories. One of the things I always say it is the stories of um, the Bible that has always always touch my heart i always can find a story that i can resonate with like um i recounted this the last time i was um interviewing somebody but the story of hagar and Mm. what she has yes powerful story and one of the things that really 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 would get to me is the um part where she recognizes that god sees her 
Mm. You know, you are the God who sees me. And I think that has always been a story, my story I always felt, because I always felt like God saw me when nobody else did, when, when nobody else did or, or seemed to care that I may have been going through some things or um, that my burden was really, really um, heavy. And it was like, yeah. the story is it's like everyone sees Hagar. It's not like she's invisible. Even Abraham knew she was being mistreated. But it's like nobody did anything or said anything to the point in which she was so um, broken down that she needed to run away. Where was she going to go with child and no place to go? But the focus of the story to me was not that part. The focus of the story was the fact that she recognized a God who she didn't even know, first of all, and that this is a God who sees her, that she can be seen by someone yeah. as great as God. You know, and that, you know, that's, that's the same story that Mary had, you know, uh, when, she, when she says in that, in, that, in that song, you know, the, the Almighty has magnified me, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he's kind of be worthy. He's given me favor when <laughs> nobody yes. else yes. thinking I should be favorite. Exactly. Yeah. And I often tell people, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You yeah. Know. I take it even further. You know, I think that God uses ordinary people, but especially God uses dysfunctional people. <laughs> Are you calling us dysfunctional? <laughs> yes, I am calling all of, each and every one of us. We are all operating <laughs> in our dysfunctions. And the 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 wonderful thing about it is, you know, for us when we're working along, our dysfunctions set us back. They, you know, get in the way of things. But when we're working with God, our dysfunctions become, you know, the places where, you know, we can let light enter. Uh, they become powerful, you know, places to do transformational things. Right. So do you work with um, the youth? Do I work with youth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I work with, I work with young people all the time. For a number of years... Um, while I was living in um, New Jersey, I only recently moved back here to uh, St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But for a number of years when I was in New Jersey, um, I helped run a mentoring organization and, you know, did mentoring in Newark and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, young people have always been um, at the, you know, really at the heart of, like, the message for me, uh, uh, the message of faith, I think, um, maybe because I received the Lord at it at a young age, or I heard God talking to me when I was young, that I have a special, you know, I got a special love for young people trying to figure out, you know, what the voice right. of God sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very important because it's, um, it sometimes can be very confusing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm often asked this question, I'm going to ask you. So I'm often asked, because, you know, I have a women's ministry, and um, we, um, I teach women empowerment and what does that entail. A lot of it entails a lot of things, but biblical studies is, is one of them. I'm constantly asked, um, you go through all this trouble to, to make these righteous women, but where are the men? Who, who, who's, who's teaching the men how to be righteous? So I'm going to put that out there for you. Uh, mm. 
who who's teaching these young boys and these young men to be to be righteous as we are trying to bring yeah. out yeah. and bring in righteous women you know like who can find yeah. a virtuous woman well you know i i can find a virtuous woman so but my point is yeah who's helping the yeah. men who's helping the men because oh, yeah i got you know i got i got two reflections on that okay i want to hear them both <laughs> yeah so the first reflection is i want to acknowledge and appreciate that there are you know tons of men out here building into the life of young people um uh you know and doing it in very powerful ways um i you know i love the the man who you know gave a witness to me while i was growing up i am one of those men in the community now there's tons of men out doing things um that are you know spiritually uplifting people mm -hmm. and the other part the other reflection on it is i'm going to say that um so much of our society uh we talked about the invisibility of, of Hagar, um, yeah. or how she felt maybe invisible in some of those connections. I think that, um, you know, for black men, invisibility is a huge thing in our society. Um, and they're around, right? Just like you were talking about Hagar. Mm -hmm. She was around and people saw her, right? but they didn't see but her. But they didn't see her, yes. Yeah, and so, you know, and, and that's going back to, you know, Ralph Ellison's powerful work, The Invisible Man. But uh, for young black men, um, they feel invisible in society. They feel invisible unless they show up in particular ways. Mm -hmm. There are, um, in a lot of circumstances, not life given to them. And um, even though that they are, you know, even though they may look like pretty boxes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I've been in a number of churches that said they wanted men and young men in the church, but didn't do ministry to them. <laughs> do ministry to them. And that's my question. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're like, just come to church. But um, with everybody, even with young people, mm -hmm. um, even with young people, even with, uh, it's true with young people and it's true with young black men, the same thing. It's like, you have to do ministry to those people. You have right, to speak right. to them. Uh, you have to, you know, let them know that the voice of God is talking directly to them. And so, you know, um, churches that have have men in that church is because, like, they give men responsibilities in the church. The men are doing things. Like, they're, they're leading ministries. They, they are provided, like, a, a welcome table to be active and that sort of thing. Um, and those places, you know, men show up. Um, they hear God speaking to them. They feel God is being involved. But for the vast majority of places, we think that, you know, it's just enough to have people come into the sanctuary. It's, it's just enough to have people, you know, show up. And that's not necessarily the case. You gotta, uh, it's one thing to have people show up, but you gotta reach out to them, you gotta connect with them, and you gotta facilitate the connection for them with God. You gotta show them how God is speaking directly to them. And in the vast majority of cases, you know, uh, people find it hard to see how God is speaking directly to them, especially in spaces where the spaces are constructed in such a way that people, you know, can't get a glimpse of God up in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but, you know, 
in any space, it's important for people to feel like God is uh, talking specifically for them. Virginia Woolf used to say this about women, but I apply it to everybody. She used to say, you know, women need a room of their own. And I thought that was a wonderful idea. And I think it's an idea for everybody. Everybody needs a room of their own. And so, um, you know, I applaud um, organizations that, you know, continue to do that. Organizations like, you know, Black Male Achievement, right, right. The Black Man Can, 100 Black Men, um, even fraternities, and soror- uh, fraternities especially. Um, but, you know, people who are creating a space for young Black men to have a room of their own, um, and when they do, when they get a room of their own, when they hear God talking specifically to them, there are people doing ministry mm-hmm. specifically to them, they thrive. Right. Every time. I agree. I agree. And um, I'm glad you mentioned some of those places and some of those spaces because it's important. Yeah. And like yourself, we also have to know that there are men who do hear, young, young, young men, who do hear the voice of God. And maybe they have not responded as of yet, but they will. They will. In the same way that it took you or even me a minute to to realize, almost like the story of Samuel, when it took him a little while, it took him, a, a, you know, three times, I think it was, when he realized it, it, was, it was God calling, calling to him. So I, I yeah. think we do need to give the space for these young men to figure out what they're what they're hearing and yeah you know yeah yeah i think your um your grandson was affiliated with an organization called the sigma beta club yes and i have to say that the person who runs the sigma beta club uh i'm just name dropped right quick denabu williams mm-hmm. such a uh powerful strong uh person and man who understands how genuinely young men needed other men to be in their lives Yes. Um, there's another person. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, I think his organization is actually out in, uh, I want to say it's out in Detroit. Um, but it's called the uh, Cave of Abdulam. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's like a martial arts like uh, place uh, that um, teaches, you know, young men martial arts. But it's also, you know, mentoring is a huge part of that. And his specific niche is, you know, making sure that men understand, young men understand and connect with their emotional side. Mm -hmm. So um, he's raising quality young men up there who are not afraid to see themselves as whole beings, whole people. Right. And um, it's just an amazing work. Yeah. And I have to applaud that kind of work because it's necessary. It is definitely necessary. So let me ask you a question. So Mm -hmm. religion is our topic, and that's what we're talking about. But how does religion affect the behavior of human beings, of us? Do you think that religion plays a, a big part in that, in the way people behave and, and if, all right, do you think someone who appears or think that they're religious will behave differently than someone who does not believe in religion or, or have a religion? Well, so, yeah, so I think, you know, there's two sides of that coin. So um, religion has been throughout 
human history a, a positive influence, but it's also been a negative influence, right? So we have, um, for instance, you know, I think about, you know, some of the domestic terrorism, you know, in the United States that's based on white supremacy. Those people are heavily religious. They yes. go to church probably every Sunday. Yes, yes. Um, the people who, who lynched my ancestors went to church every Sunday. Yes. Um, mm. I think that so religion uh, itself, you know, is obviously just a tool. Um, it's a roadmap that, you know, magnifies uh, intentions and, and lays out a framework, you know, to help somebody, you know, get to the divine. Now, because humans are imperfect, it is perfectly possible for somebody to be in the religious box and never touch the divine. But what religion does is it's supposed to, you know, create um, space for worship and connection to the divine to happen. I think that, um, you know, and at its best, that's what it does. Um, At its best, you can walk into a religious space and feel the presence of the divine and it makes it easier for you to try to connect with God. Um, you can hear songs or, you know, hymns and and those things resonate with you in a special way that give you a special articulation of your connection with God and and they take you to a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that, you know, requires, um, you know, good quality spiritual, you know, intention um, because religion itself is just it's just the outfit right mm-hmm. but you know um you know you and i can wear the same outfit but you might wear it better you know i can't i can't i can't you know do the same style that you do the same flex that you do you might you know make it better and so i think i think of religion in the same way um it's, it's an outfit and um but what really makes the outfit is you know the the personal style the personal connection the person has with god um the their connection to the things that they are you know putting around themselves to lead them into a spiritual place mm-hmm. and so um i'm you know i i i, I love religion um well, I don't always, I haven't always loved the institution of religion. It's frustrating me on numerous other occasions. I was going to ask but, you, I was like, okay, you love but, religion. But, okay. But, you know, but I, but, you know, religious practices, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was at church where I learned how to quiet myself, how to, you know, listen, listen to the voice of God. It's at church where I fell in love with, you know, the sound of human voices when I heard them singing in the choir. Mm-hmm or anything like that. It was at church where I learned, you know, um, how to really be, how to really appreciate something with curiosity, like a divine curiosity, like, um, you know, how to learn how to see God in in different aspects of life. And so I definitely think that there's a benefit, you know, for religion, religious spaces and places. But ultimately, it matters, you know, where the human heart is, where the human intention is, and all of that um, to steer it in the right way or the wrong way. Oh, absolutely. Um, Again, this is not a podcast that's vilifying religion. (laughs) Not at all. Um, Yeah. I'm just basically want to see how far we've come. Um, What is the future of religion? (laughs) I mean, you know, 
Um, what yeah. role? What role do they play? Um, when when you were talking about the young men and how they were being nurtured in their own space, that space that you were speaking of was still outside of the church, outside of uh, traditional religious places. So my, my question and my thoughts are, where is religion um, headed? And if I ask you a question um, about consciousness, what do you think about consciousness? Recently I read an article um, you may have seen this article. It was a scientific article that says now the scientists believe that that consciousness um, creates your reality. As before, I think it was reality they thought created consciousness. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, say more. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, so what are your thoughts about consciousness? Um, and when I say consciousness, because even in the Bible it talks about you have to change your mind, you have to change the way you think. Um, religion to me seems to be, you mentioned an outfit. It just seems that everybody conforms to the same way as opposed to every, all right, let me, Hmm. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly or that you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, God said it like this. <laughs> <laughs> he said, they, my people honor me with lip service, but their hearts are far from me. And mm -hmm. I wonder how many people actually have a, a consciousness of God or are actually conscious of the God even inside of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a powerful point. I think that most people, you know, autopilot throughout life. Um, they follow scripts that have been given to them and very rarely, you know, do people actually uh, investigate those scripts. Um, take the time to really think about what's embedded in them and uh, question it, you know, um, and to, uh, you know, to really kind of get at what the what the heart of it is. Um, you know, Jesus said, you know, the truth should make you free. And um, a musician said, but first it'll piss you off. And that's exactly, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. I think that's very true. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, so the most majority of us, you know, um, tend to, you know, go through life on autopilot. And, and, and God is, and God doesn't want us on autopilot. And anything that we form with human hands can move us into a place of autopilot. Um, you know, institutions, um, you know, uh, you know, boxes, religion, other things, anything that we create with human hands or human thoughts mm -hmm. can can you know get into a routine of things where we forget to you know look up or we forget to make an authentic connection to you know what is actually happening mm -hmm. um i remember i worked for a couple of years uh i told you before i worked for a couple of years in mentoring uh, a few years in mentoring and um you know one of the things in mentoring was um every once in a while you know we would come out you know, we were analyzing as I moved up in the field, I started thinking about the field more 
about how to, you know, actually advance like the mentoring field. But every few months or so, like I was reminded of how important it was to have a direct connection, uh, to actually be like mentoring somebody or to actually see mentoring in practice, you know, at the grassroots level. Mm -hmm. um, we call them practitioners in the mentoring field to see what actually happened. The same thing is true, I think, with any institution that we develop, you know, after a while, um, it's important that, you know, we shake things up, get a true sense of what God is saying to us right now, because we like to think of God kind of ending, like talking in these sentences that has a period in it. And, but if God is still speaking to us, you know, we have to recognize that there's a comma and then God continues, yes. you know, God continues in his revelation to us, uh, uh, God continues in growing our consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, I think um, in terms of, you know, to talk a little bit about the future of the church, I think that are the future of religion and spirituality in general. Uh, people will always be spiritual beings. I think that we can create things that um, enhance that or get in the way of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now we're at a space where we are trying to figure out um, you know, we're we're at a shift in terms of what it means to be human. Um, so much has changed in terms of like life and living, and how we get access to people or how we don't get access to people, how we connect with people or how we don't connect with people. Mm -hmm. You know, all of it is changing. And so, you know, every, every once in a while, it's good to reassess, you know, what it means to actually be human. Mm -hmm. um, but what is what is true, though, is that, you know, People need deep connection, spiritually or otherwise. Um, even if they decide that the institutions no longer serve them. Um, you know, we had, you know, CDs for a while, had to give those up. We had a track, had to give those up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the fact that people love listening to music has never changed. That is true. And um, I, th I think about the same thing when I think about spirituality and faith. Um, you know, churches, in some way or the other, who knows? You know, they might serve people. People might decide to make, it doesn't make sense anymore to go to church on Sunday every Sunday. Um, but the fact that people need to connect with God and need to find ways to do mm -hmm. that, like, mm -hmm. that'll never change. Mm -hmm. And people will uh, create um, create those ways. I think that the boxes that we uh, create are made to service us. They're made to make us feel comfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but the imagination of God is so big, you know? And, and so um, just, I think that sometimes we like to think that our box is all that God has in store. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like our boxes you know, not what God's imagination is. Um, the four walls that we create for ourselves yes. is not where God exists. You know, God exists beyond those four walls, beyond our, um, you know, houses, our temples, etc. Mm -hmm. And so when God connects with us, when God, when we want to connect with God, you know, we'll find the right ways to do that. We'll find what makes sense. And that makes me hopeful. Uh, it makes me hopeful for... Um, you know, uh, religion and spirituality. You know, there's been a lot of people nowadays who have, you know, been 
um, expanding what I what I think of is like the you know vocabulary or presentation of it, right? Uh, of religion and religious practices. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. they might burn incense now, which which is funny. There's such an uproar about it because incense <laughs> has been <laughs> used in scripture like for the longest time. It's actually a centuries old practice. It's not like a new thing. But you know, like so people, you know, people um will, you know, create boxes and then over time, you know, time will, you know, eliminate those boxes for us. And new 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 boxes will emerge. Um hopefully they're more expensive and they're not re- reductionist. Mm-hmm. Um and, but that's the work of us to make sure that happens. To constantly keep pace with the imagination of God. Right, right, right. Yeah. And what would happen if there were no churches? Yeah. I mean, you know, what would happen if I mean, there were no churches? I mean, when we look at when we look what 2020 has has brought with 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 COVID and the and the doors of the churches closing, yeah. what is happening to the people without just, churches? Just, because I I I just yeah. what I want to say is and what I've always told people the church is not the building. It is it is you. And I think so many people absent of a building don't really understand that they house the most important thing that they could ever house. And that is the spirit of God within their own selves. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and it's important to, you know, the original church didn't have buildings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesus Jesus met with people wherever he found them. Yes. And and then the early church itself um began in people's houses. Yes. And you would meet at whoever's home was available. Yes. And so um the early Christians were called people of the way, and I think that's important to remember today. That um it's a way. You know, it's not a house, it's not mm-hmm. a building, it's mm-hmm. not a you know, whatever. You know, we can we can still be uh, Jesus people without those things right <laughs> but I wonder though um, we know that you and I know that but how many people know that because our mental health I think is is so tied in to our religious beliefs um, being able to be comfortable in in a building or a place um, you know, I know individuals who wouldn't dare think about not going into a actual church or cathedral, wherever the case may be, because that is where God is. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... Well, yeah. The thing is, is that people have put, um, you know, they have tried to put God in those places, but... The thing is, those space, spaces are filled with, you know, so many other things as well, right? So um, people have housed their politics in there. People have housed their value systems in there, their ideas of status. And so I think that that's what's primarily harder, what's harder for people to get rid of mm-hmm. when, when they think about possibly not, you know, having a building anymore. They're thinking about status. They're thinking about belonging. The thing about values and stuff like that, that the building itself represents um, and not necessarily what is, um, you know, perennial and beyond like the physical for us. I mean, we'll always have that. 
Yes. So what is a word that you can give our listeners? Something that they can take with them? Something that they can hold dear to their heart? What do you want to say? You know, I think that, you know, going back to, going back to, uh, you know, the story that you reminded us of earlier, uh, I think, you know, my word is quite simply that God sees you. Uh, God sees all of us, you know, no matter what situation you're in or condition you're in, wherever you find yourself, God sees you. And um, I think that there's so much in this world to make us feel invisible or out of place or not connected or on the outside of things. And when you are on the outside of things, when you feel like you're pushed to the boundary, when you feel like you're not with the in crowd, that is exactly when God finds you. And that is, you know, the... Uh, the history of the, the faith in which we both celebrate and appreciate mm-hmm. is that God finds people on the margins and brings them to the center. Yes. And so God sees you wherever you are. And I'm uh, thankful that God sees me. And and I feel that as a people, that um, as we continue to grow and know that God sees us, we'll be able to better see each other. That's a wonderful statement. Thank you for saying that. I also want to thank you for taking the time to have a candid conversation with me. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, if it was your pleasure, then I hope you'll come back. Of course. (laughs) Okay. Well, you have been listening to my guest today, Reverend Aaron Rogers. And um, he's been here, and we've been having a very serious, intense conversation and uh, we could have went deeper, but we didn't want to. So, <laughs> But um, I'm glad to have him here. And I would like for him to come back later on as I bring back all my guests to talk about what they've learned. And um, so is there any final parting words that you want to say? Mm. There's a welcome table. There's yeah. a place for all of us, yeah. Yes, there's a welcome table. I like that. There is a welcome table. And we know that I'm going to leave with the last words that he said. God does see us. It may seem like no one's listening and no one's paying attention. But I promise you, God does see you. And he doesn't just see you. He takes care of things. Because if you remember the end of the story, he sent Hagar back with a promise. And God sends us back with a promise as well. So, until next time. This is Dr. Caroline with Thea Jones, and you've been listening to Real Talk with Real People, and I will see you next time. And we have come to the end of another episode. My name is Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I am your host. And just a little bit of information to give you about Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry. Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit mentoring ministry committed to forming a strong bond among women for the purpose of encouraging, motivating, uplifting, strengthening, and empowering women to achieve their goals. This ministry works toward excellence through biblical studies, spiritual awareness, empowerment classes, and life-building workshops. This program was developed to encourage, uplift, educate, and empower women 
who have a desire to change their lives. All levels are welcome to attend. Hope to see you again next time with another edition of Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Thea Jones. See you soon.